So how do you make the best of waiting? What do you do when you got to wait? And since Cindy's in here, I've got to be very careful. She waits for me a lot, too. So I just you know, have to play fair. But uh, what do you do? How painful is it? I don't know about you, but uh, I sometimes get frustrated when I have to wait in line at the Big M. Not that I have to wait in line too often there, but uh, when I do, I'm like, oh, you know, and uh, the one stoplight in town. You know, th those kinds of things. Uh, what do you do with that? What about when you need to wait for God? Or you have to wait for God. I don't know if you need to wait, but you're just in that place where you're waiting on God. What do you do? Um, how do you wait with other people who are waiting on God? Is that good, helpful, or is that hurtful? What about when you find yourself waiting and with people you really don't want to wait with? How do you deal with that? Do they encourage you? Do they discourage you? Do you encourage them? This morning we're getting back to our series, Seeking. Yes, and we're getting close to starting to think about Easter. You have that little invite card in the program. I would strongly, strongly encourage you to use that invite card. They say more folks would respond positively if invited. And if they don't, they don't. But give it a shot. And it's not about filling seats. It's about filling hearts. And a part of the process, we believe, church helps fill your heart with the love of God. So please, uh, start thinking, start praying. Don't make it a last-minute thing. Now, we've got plenty of those invite cards. They'll be coming out every week. But for right now, after Palm Sunday, we're going to continue on looking at David's life and also Saul's life as we look at this. But before that, I've been off two weeks, and I just want to say thank you. We had a wonderful time. Of course, I've got to show you some more pictures. So this is uh, Hannah and Kula, and this is at the church. Uh, I had the pleasure of marrying them. Uh, this is Cindy and I at a reception. There were a bunch of receptions. Look at her at her little sari, sari outfit. Uh, wow. And then uh, even my parents were there, and my uh, nephew Ben took care of them. Some of you saw these online. So that was one reception. And then last weekend outside of New York City, we had another reception, and it was just spectacular. Another 250 people. I'm thankful I wasn't paying for that. Uh, but there they are, outfit after outfit. They know how to celebrate the Indian culture marriages. And then, of course, I have to throw in one of these. This is uh, Rivers, our grandson at church two weeks ago. And then if you look here on the left, that's our daughter, Sarah. And she's getting ready to have another baby next month, Ira. So we're very excited but again, uh, enough of that. Uh, thank you for letting us be away for a couple weeks to take advantage of that. So this morning we're looking at waiting. And we're going to see that David had to wait near a cave, in a cave. And in all of our lives, there are times where we have to wait. And we have to wait on God. God makes promises us. 
things. God uh, says he's going to take care of something for us, and we find ourselves waiting, and we're waiting in a cave, and we're waiting with others sometimes, and, and how, do we, how do we walk through that? And, and David shows us some ways. Last time, we were looking at uh, the last chapter, and uh, David wasn't waiting very well. He was scared. He was lying. He, he, we're going to see later on that it cost some people their lives because of what, the way he approached it. Uh, but now he's kind of getting his bearings, just like you and I. Sometimes we're in a situation where anxiety rules the day and we're nasty to those that are close to us. We don't trust God, so we might stretch the truth a little. We might do this or that. And uh, so David seems to be getting his bearings a little bit. It's chapter 22. He's human just like us, and uh, that's reassuring. Uh, it's not an excuse to be sloppy with our lives, not consistent with our lives, but David gives us hope. And again, throughout this whole series, and it's we're you know, leading up to Easter, uh, but it will carry on after that. We want to get up to David and Solomon. But uh, you're going to see that David has all the raw material to be a good king an excellent king he's like awesome yet we're going to see that he fails that's all pointing to the fact that there's only one king and that's king jesus and he gives himself as a lamb but comes back as a lion in the future the lion of judah so we're looking forward to that and it also plays into the world we live in we want our leaders we want our politicians we want uh, our bosses, uh, our uh, people that have some kind of advantage over us, we want them to lead well. We want them to be servant leaders. But we'll find that no matter who they are, especially me and myself, we are not perfect. And again, that doesn't give room to just uh, be careless. But you've got to realize that all of us have chinks in our armor. All of us walk with a limp, and that's the deal. So what happens when we find ourselves waiting and waiting in a cave? So we're going to read through verses 1 through 5. Um, I'm going to use the message paraphrase. you got to remember Eugene Peterson paraphrases this, but he uses the original languages. So this is not someone taking an English translation and just updating it. This is someone going back to the original languages that he knows extremely well. And he translates idea for idea, not uh, word for word. And so that's a little bit different. You'll see he'll include thoughts that were maybe a couple verses prior because that thought should be included in that verse. And sometimes you and I just read a verse without reading the four verses before. We miss some of that. So he tries to do that for our benefit. So he translates it from original, paraphrases it, and uh, I just really, really appreciate that he did this. And the way it started is he, when he was doing his sermons, when he started off at, you'll say, age 30 as a church planter in Maryland, he would translate the passage into English. And that's what he would do. And so then someone said, wow, this is really good. Why don't you do this for the whole New Testament? And he did it for the whole New Testament. And then he did Proverbs and Psalms. And then somebody said, why don't you do this for the whole Bible? So he did this. So it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a good job. You need to remember that. But uh, I think he does, he brings out uh, the richness of it. He, he, it's, it's real. But a paraphrase like this will have a shelf life. As words and ideas change, then some of the message that comes through his a paraphrase won't hit us the same way as it does today. So verse number one. So David got away and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and other associates with his family heard where he was, 
they came down and joined him. Remember, he was in the Philistine capital, the place where uh, um, Goliath grew up. He actually had the nerve to come in with his sword, uh, Goliath's sword. Everyone knew who he was. Then he pretends that he's lost his marbles and he's not mentally sound and they kind of don't want him around. And there's a superstitious thing that you don't kill people like that, even though it's David and they'd like him gone. So they just leave him alone and he escapes out. And this is kind of in between. This is, if you're looking at a map, this would be uh, more Philistine, more to the west area uh, of uh, Jerusalem and, and those places. And so he goes down there, and a lot of folks uh, started to join him, his family. And then we read in the second verse, not only that, but all who were down on their luck came around, losers and vagrants and misfits of all sorts. David became their leader. There was about 400 in all. So anyone disgruntled, anyone on hard times that was looking for a new day went to be with David. Uh, some were people that just experienced misfortune even. Some people were rebellious, difficult, pirate kind of people, you know. And uh, so they all go to be down with him and they want him to be his leader. They're against the establishment. They're against Saul because, you know, they just, they just want it their way. So again, some good guys, some not so good guys, and they're all down there. Then David uh, went to Mizpah in Moab. He petitioned the king of Moab, grant asylum to my mother and father until I find out what God has planned for me. Again, uh, you know, Saul is unpredictable, and so you just don't know what could happen to David's parents. So he's looking out for them. Again, he's got now responsibility for all these people. So David left his parents in the care of the king Moab. They stayed there all throughout the time David was hiding, and this is a long time then the prophet gad told david don't go back to the cave go to judea david did what he told him he went to the forest of Tereth. so it's interesting uh, gad tells him don't go back to the cave your waiting there is over and i don't know where you're at today i don't know where you're waiting I don't know what, what cave you're in, but David's life here gives us some instructions. Some of us may be in the cave of, of just bad relationship stuff. Maybe the cave of our, our marriage is dissolving or it's just kind of whatever. Or maybe our, our, our health is, is just, we're in the cave of bad health and it, we're just stuck there. We're waiting for God to, to show up and do something. Maybe it's the cave of finances. Maybe we've made some really bad decisions. Maybe we bought some things we shouldn't have bought, and now we're into debt up to our eyeballs, and it's not good. Or maybe the finance thing was all beyond our control. Maybe when we went to college and uh, they kept telling us to take more loans, more loans, more loans. You'll make plenty of money when you get out. And all of a sudden now you have a ton of debt, and the job doesn't pay what you thought it was going to pay. And you feel like you're in the cave of debt and you're just waiting. Whatever it may be, all of us from time to time will find ourselves in a cave, if you will, waiting. And sometimes that cave is all internal. It's not that we're actually in a cave, but it's all inside. And we feel just trapped. So here's David. He has had so much promise 
so many good things have happened in his life. We got, uh, you know, he entered uh, King Saul's service, and that was pretty cool. Then all of a sudden he takes out Goliath, and that's really wow. And then around there they're talking about, you know, Saul kills thousands, and David kills tens of thousands, and wow, wow, wow. Uh, then he gets anointed by Samuel to be the next king. He's friends with the king's son, Jonathan, and Jonathan has basically said, I am your man. I know I'm the crown prince, but, uh, and I, but I know you're anointed by God to be the next king. I'm not going to fight you. I'm actually going to support you. Saul takes another tact and gets after him, throws a few spears at, at uh, David, also throws one at Jonathan. Uh, in there also, he's uh, ranked high in the army, uh, thinking he goes off to war. He's going to get these hard, hard campaigns. He's going to get taken out, but no, he comes back victorious. And again, those people saying he kills 10,000, Saul only 1,000, which just gives Saul unbelievable heartburn marries one of uh, Saul's daughters, you know, just everything was falling in place until the bottom of everything fell out. He escapes through a window because Saul has decided to kill him. Last time, again, he's scared to death and uh, his integrity suffers and he lies and all of this kind of thing. And uh, here we have him hiding at this cave. Again, we can find ourselves in those same places. So what do we do? What do we do? Well, first of all, we're going to see that we need to follow Jesus where you are. Now, David was following God. Jesus exists. He has not been born yet. When we talk about the Trinity, one God and three persons, a little hard to understand, but you can see it throughout Scripture. The word Trinity is not used but the concept, even to when Jesus says, go forth and make disciples in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, baptize them as Trinity, one God, three uh, persons. As interesting, um, some of the prayers that were uh, given at uh, Hannah and Tula's wedding uh, were by uh, Indian pastors, and in the Indian tradition, it's mostly Hinduism, when they come to faith and those kinds of ideas, and they have hundreds of thousands of gods, couple primary ones we've talked about that in the past but uh whenever they would pray they would use that language because they wanted to remind their listeners that there's one god and three persons and so i thought that was really interesting so david is following god god has not revealed uh, jesus the son uh, there are times we see the angel of the lord and when the people uh, experiences the angel of the Lord bow and uh, worship that angel. Uh, angels don't want worship because they're just created beings like the rest of us. They have a special role. But if it's if it's Jesus, they worship. You see this with Gideon. You see this with uh, Samson. You see this with a couple other places where they bow and the angel doesn't say, don't stop worshiping me. They receive it. So that is thought to be an incarnation of Christ before he's born. So anyway, so follow Jesus where you are. And we see that in the first couple verses here. Again, he's, he's following God. He's, he's doing what he's supposed to be doing. He's trying to get situated. He's trying to pull himself together, and he's starting to do that. His family hears where he is, which is kind of disturbing and sometimes because if his family knows, maybe Saul's going to know soon. So he's you know hiding it out in these caves. All these other people join him. And uh, likewise, you and I need to get to the place where we understand that we need 
to not look at those caves, not look at those times of waiting as a punishment, but actually as a part of our formation and who God wants us to be. Sometimes God wants to teach us lessons through our waiting. And so don't snuff off the waiting. Don't rush the waiting. Don't make it longer than it needs to be either. But the waiting is a part of the journey of waiting on God. And we can look all through Old Testament. We can see um, Abraham and Sarah waited for a son, Isaac. They took things into their own hands. Ishmael, we've talked about this before. Ishmael, the father of the Arab nation. Isaac, the father of Jewish nation, Israel. And those two have been fighting ever since. That's what we're dealing with in the Middle East right now. Take things in your own hands. Can make ripple effects into other people's lives. Uh, we can look at Moses. Moses, uh, you know, 40 years as a shepherd, uh, trained in the house of Pharaoh, all the good stuff, all the, all the living high on life, just intellectually stimulating, involved in all kinds of things. And then he's, you know, a shepherd for 40 years. And then he's with the Israelites for 40 years and uh, leading them all around and just waiting, 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 waiting. It goes on and on. Uh, back, we go back to Joseph, waiting, 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 waiting. But God does amazing things in our waiting. So don't rush it. Don't ignore it. First Corinthians, talking about marriage, but I think it can apply to all of life, says this. And don't be wishing you were someplace else or with someone else. Where you are right now is God's place for you. Live and obey and love and believe right there. God, not your marital status or your employment status or your uh, relational status and other things, your economic status, all those kinds of things don't define your life. Don't think I'm being harder on you than any others. I give this same counsel in all the churches. So when God has a season of waiting, some of us hope that season's just an afternoon, but when it's a week, when it's a month, when it's a year, when it's a couple years, if you can better yourself, if you can move forward, and it's under God's leadership, then do it. But if you're just pushing it, taking shortcuts, don't do that. Get everything out of the waiting that you can. Some seasons of waiting, when you look back on them, you'll wish you had them back. New area of responsibility at work. You like the new area of responsibility at work, but you look back and go, those were easier days when I didn't have all this responsibility. I wish I'd enjoyed that a little bit more. Waiting to have kids. Enjoy the time waiting to have kids. It was fortunately and I uh, waited on purpose for about five years and it turned into eight years because I was getting a little nervous. But those five, eight years, those were good years. I had just married this summer. Good years. That's why. Just kidding. Whatever your season is, whatever your season is, if it involves waiting, be okay with that. Paul says this. He says, I'm not telling you this because I'm in need. He's talking about finances. For I've learned to be satisfied in any circumstance. Wow. If you could take that, satisfied in any circumstance, 
I just made your year. I just made your decade. I just made your life. Paul learned that. And it's interesting. He didn't just have it. He learned it. I know what it's what it means to lack and i know what it means to experience overwhelming abundance for i'm trained in the secret of overcoming all things whether in fullness or in hunger and i find that the strength of christ's explosive power infuses me there's the word dynamite in there to conquer every difficulty you're waiting Killing me. My waiting may be an opportunity for you to experience Christ's explosive power in your life. And if you didn't wait, you wouldn't experience it. And I'm discovering some of the sweetest moments of my life are when I can identify that God shows up. God shows up individually. God shows up with Cindy and I. God shows up as a family. God shows up at our church. Whenever God shows up, those are great moments. I want more of those moments. I want to identify those moments. Because I'm going to say at the same time, God's showing up all the time. I just want eyes to see it, know it, experience it. And that brings a satisfaction that eclipses everything. When we're in this waiting, when we're in this following, when we're in this cave, whether we're, we're literally stuck ourselves in this place of life or whether it's just something that's all internal, from that verse, from those ideas, we realize we need to just commit ourselves to God. We need to lean in rather than lean away. I say that all the time. There are tendencies for us when it doesn't go the way we think it should go, we back off from God. No, it's quite the opposite. We need to lean in. We need to commit to those times. We see David do it. We see Joseph do it. We see Moses do it. I'm sure being a shepherd, he was leaning into God all the time because he had nothing to do but watch sheep and every once in a while get involved in them. He's just like out there. He goes, I used to be in the palace. I used to you know, have the finer things in life. I used to be making decisions that you know really matter now i'm just like making sheep decisions what is going on but you commit yourself to god let him use those times again philippians 4 13 said a little different way translated differently you got to remember the original languages are like watching tv in high definition english is like watching tv in black and white TV. Some of you go, what is, it? what is that? Yes, there used to be these things, black and white TV. So the difference, there's nuances. Uh, we've talked about this before. There are, there's like four words for the love. I can say, I love pizza and I love my wife. Yes, those are different. Those are different. Okay, so there's a different word for all of that. So you get these nuances. It's good to study and have different translations, solid ones next to each other. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. So you can wait. You can be proactive in the waiting. You can let him do the internal things. And at the same time, it's just not about waiting. You continue to do good and right. David looks after his parents. He's, he's doing right things. He's supposed to be the king, but he's doing these other things. 
He's getting caught up. He, he could have sent one of his 400 men, go take care of my parents, go up over to Mobi, go do that, I'm staying. No, he, he's engaged. He's doing what's right. He's doing everything. He's helping out. We read in 1 Peter, so if God wants you to suffer, ooh, that's even worse than just waiting, you should trust your lives to him. He is the one who made you, and you can trust him. So continue to do good. David does that. You can do that. I can do that. When we're waiting, we can continue to do good. And if we do that, it shows that we actually have confidence in him that we can trust him. We can put the weight of our lives on him. It was funny, a, bit, a little bit later, Bill's going to up, going to come up, I'm going to have a little conversation with him uh, just before communion. And uh, there was only one stool up here, and I grabbed the stool, and it was very wobbly. And then I looked, and one of the spindles was broken. And I said, boy, we averted some fun this morning, because I probably would have rocked myself right out of that, and this thing would have collapsed, because I usually have just confidence in the stools, you know. And uh, so you can have the same confidence, more confidence in God. Most of you probably didn't wiggle the chair when you sat down, hoping that it would hold you. You just kind of had confidence in that. That might have been unwise for some of you, but no. Uh, yeah, you know, so, so this idea of do right, continue to do right, because you have confidence that you can wait on God and that God is going to do what he needs to do. Another translation reads this way. Christ is the one who gives me the strength. I need to do whatever I must do. Sometimes they have people quote this verse, you know, I can do all things through Christ. And, you know, they look at some, yeah, I'm going to climb Mount Everest this summer because I can do all things through Christ. That's not really what it's talking about. I can run a marathon and, you know, in 10 minutes. Yeah, it's not, that's not what it's saying. It's, it's saying that what Christ is, gives you the strength to do what he's called you to do and that I must do whatever I must do. It's from the hand of Christ. Sometimes I want strength to do all things for things that God has not called me to do. Sometimes I wonder why my schedule seems like it's coming out of control. And I go, wait a minute, I put some things in there that he has not asked me to do. He's not asked me to spend my energy on it. So when I get upset with him and say, why couldn't I pull this all off? God's like, I didn't ask you to pull all that off. Now, when I say that, that's not an excuse to disconnect and be lazy and not do things. We're responsible on both sides. We're responsible to have some grit. I, somebody said grit this week in one of my meetings. I love that word, grit. You do need to have some grit. You need to have some drive, some ambition, but you need to know that that's coming from God's purpose in your life. You've got to push yourself a little at times. You don't you know, look at these Bible characters, these guys, and you go, they pushed themselves. They weren't just kind of slacking off all the time. But where they got in trouble, we can look at Elijah, where he got in trouble, he was taking on too much. And that's when he has that whole meltdown. The message says it this way, whatever I have, whatever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. Know God and know yourself. Have confidence that he's made you for the task that he's put in front of you. He has not made you for the task that he's not put in front of you. I told you before about uh, living back in South Portland a zillion years ago, and uh, we had a real Christmas tree at the time, and finally I trained Cindy that that wasn't a good idea, so we have a fake one for the last 20 years, but uh, before that we had this real Christmas tree, and I threw it out kind of like behind the steps, and we were living in a home at the time, and sometimes I'd have to chase it down the road because it would blow away, and then Cindy kept saying, when are you going to take care of that tree, and 
It was now it was summertime, and I was mowing the lawn, and I discovered that my lawnmower could mow that for you. It was like a, it was like a, what do they call it? A mulcher and what you know, a chipper, and it was all that was left was this, you know, like a spear now. And then I threw it over in the woods, and that was the end of it. So a friend of mine comes over to fix my lawnmower, and uh, says says to me, I mean, literally goes. He almost had tears because he was like a lawnmower guy. He almost said, I've never seen a blade this chipped up in my life and on and on and on. And I told him what I'd done. He goes, you never do. I was like, I had stepped on sacred soil by ruining this lawnmower. But uh, anyway, Tim, I'll be nice with my zero sum wherever you are. But uh, anyway, but, uh, you know, so he makes me who I am. Lawnmowers aren't supposed to grind up Christmas trees. That's not what they're for. At least that's what I'm told they're not for. And now I think when I don't have to worry about it. But anyway, but that, but you're made, what you are made to be is who to be. So he can get you through. And when he gets you to the side, there'll be satisfaction. So what do we also need to do? We need to focus on seeking God's directional steps, his will. I put directional steps and I almost just left it his will, but his will seems so grand and big and well, I don't know what his will is. I can almost guarantee you, you know what your next step is. He's a light unto my path. He's not telling you where you need to be 10 miles from here. He's telling you what your next couple steps are. And you can do that. I can do that. David saw the big picture. He was going to be king. Remember, when we talked about him getting kicked out of the palace, it's thought that he wouldn't be back to that palace, that area, for 10 to 13 years. So he is out on the run for a lot of years, even though he was anointed 10 years, 13 years earlier. But he takes the step one at a time. And so he's taking his next step. He knows they should take care of his parents. And so he figures that out. So he moves in that direction and uh, takes care of those things. We also see that a part of seeking God's will is remembering how God has worked in our past. Remember what God has done in the past. You know, at first I go, oh, he's taking them to Moab. Moab. That's not a good place. But Ruth is his great-great-great-great-great-grandmother. And where did she come? Where did they come from? Moab, right? So he's bringing them like to great-great-great-great-great-grandmothers. You know, we used to live that way. Like we have family up in Nova Scotia, you know, and so I could go up there and probably find some people that are why nots that are related to our family. And I could go up there and, you know, a few generations ago, and some of you have done that. You'll reach back to the old country and find somebody that is related to your great-grandmother and da 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 But uh, so he's remembering what God has done in the past. And that Ruth, that's a good story. I encourage you to read it. It's only four chapters. God works amazingly in that. So David even is remembering, okay, that's a good place to send them. They'll be taken care of there. They'll be watched over. It's good to keep a list of how God works in your life. You'll see this uh, in, in Old Testament. They build these little rock piles. Uh, they cross the Jordan River or whatever, and they put you know, 12 rocks in it and just to remind themselves uh, 
we today call that taking a picture with your iPhone. You know, you take a picture and you remember it. I showed some pictures there. I, I can go back like 10 years and see pictures on my iPhone of things that I've done. I don't take too many. So I, but I can go back and, oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. And then I think about that. And you, you could do the same and see how God has shown up and intersected with your life in significant ways. So remember what God has done in the past. David is doing this. Also seek God's will for the future. Seek God's will for the future. And in that seeking, you're praying and experiencing God's answers as experiencing him. And isn't he the real answer to your prayers? Think about that for a second. You don't need something else as much as you need more of him in your life. Getting to something else is like the icing on the cake. But those of us who have tried to eat one of those pre-made icing packets, you know, those Betty Crocker things that are about this big, and we love icing, and we start to get into it, and we start to eat it, and all of a sudden there's this moment where we're going, icing isn't that great by itself. It tastes better with cake. It makes me sick when I just eat icing. So when you're praying, the icing on the cake is the answer. The cake is God himself. He's the real answer. When you're aware of his presence, when you're aware of his presence, that is the answer. And the whatever you're praying about just kind of is just on the side. I have a friend who always puts, has gravy put on his French fries. How many of you do that? French fries and gravy? I want to, but I know once I do it, I'm going to be 10 pounds heavier. So I've decided not to even cross that line. Again, but you can't just eat, well, some people could just eat gravy, but you just can't eat gravy. You've got to eat French fries underneath the gravy. You get the idea. Prayer is not just getting something. It's getting him, being in sync with him. Also, when we see David, it's amazing. We see this in a few of the Bible characters. They're giving some direction. We saw this in Joseph when it clicked with them that almost immediately they get this direction and they do it. Be quick to act on God's word. Be quick. I wrestle with it a little bit more. I bet you I'm not the only one who knows something that God kind of wants me to do or not do, and I'm still dragging my feet. David was quick to act. We're going to see he had a heart after God. His heart beat in sync to God's, even though he does some dastardly, wicked things. Be quick to act. The longer you drag your feet, I think, at least in my life, and then I ask him to give me some more directions, he doesn't give me more directions because I haven't done what I already, he already told me to do. Why is he going to give me, you know, you know, you're putting something together. Why is he going to give me direction number 14 when I haven't done the first one? I don't know about you, when you're putting those furniture things together and you get ahead by accident, I'm really not good at that. You start putting things together and all of a sudden you realize the reason they wanted you to put those screws on that thing at part six and not part one was because now you can't fit it into where it was supposed to go. I, you, you know this, but be quick to act on the current thing. He's not going to give you the next thing. He tells him to go. We hear from Gad, and there's some verses here. We see that David has uh, basically three prophets. He has Gad, he has Nathaniel, he has Samson. They all speak into his life. You can look at those verses on your own. 
And with that, being quick to uh, respond means that we need to be open to hearing God's word. Are you open? Did you come this morning saying, Lord, speak to my heart? Maybe there's something in a song that resonated with you. Maybe there's some verse. Maybe there's some word. I say this little sentence over there, and God brings you to a completely different place. Not getting, You're right now in a different world right now, but God's speaking to you. I've had people come up to me after the service. Thank you for saying so-and-so and so-and-so. I don't think I said any of that in my mind I'm going. It's just that God took one idea and took it to another place. Hopefully that's not happening all the time with all of you. Like, <laughs> I don't even know what Dave said, but God said this to me. But be open. Come with some anticipation to hear what he's saying. When Saul got out of line, when he sacrificed that uh, that sacrifice because he was losing men and Samuel didn't show up when he thought he was supposed to show up and he was supposed to wait for him. This is one of the comments that come out of that verse. Is, and because you didn't keep your appointment with God, there's an appointment with God. And so I say, so how does that speak to me today? I'm not doing sacrifices waiting for Samuel and coming God to do. But God has told me to keep appointments with him. All because you didn't keep your appointment with God. As a Christ follower, hear this, hear this. Do you daily, not just Sundays, not Sundays every couple weeks, but do you daily keep an appointment with God? If you don't, you're setting yourself up for disaster. Saul didn't keep his appointment with God, and he loses the kingdom. What are you losing because you, because me, am not keeping our appointment with God. Because we need to remember God's word is alive and working. It's sharper than the sharpest sword and cuts all the way into us. It cuts deep into the place where the soul and the spirit are joined. God's word cuts to the center of the joints of our bones. It judges the thoughts and feelings in our hearts. It interprets and reveals the true thoughts and secret moments, motives of our feel confused you wonder what your heart's saying you're saying my heart's kind of double one minute i want this one minute i want this i'm double-minded i'm you know then throw yourself into god's word it will do its work in your heart guaranteed guaranteed not like in two seconds it's not like a proverbs a day keeps the devil away you know it's like little line you know you rip something off a calendar that's all wonderful and everything but if that's it that's it Go in, get deeper, grow in it, build up to it. I was talking to someone this week. I said, you know, when you start working out, and uh, I remember doing this a bunch of times, and now I don't do anything, but uh, I remember, uh, you know, doing uh, sit-ups, you know, and the first time you do sit-ups, you try to do like 100, and you do 100, and the next day, you can't even get out of bed. You're like, oh, and then you don't do any sit-ups for like a month or two months, or you say, sit-ups are not for me. You should have done like 20 sit-ups. And then once that didn't hurt anymore, maybe do 25 and slowly and slowly gain. Same thing with God's word. If you leave today saying, I'm going to read like three books of the Bible today. And, you know, and you do it and you do it and you do it and you do it. And I'm not trying to discourage you from reading your Bible, but you're over-exercising and you're going to find yourself so 
door, you can't do it. Gradually, not slowly, but gradually move into it and let God's word do its thing. Be swift to do God's word. First, I said quick to do God's word. No, swift. I think of skiing, bobbing and weaving, you know, going down, watching out for things. I've got to show you a clip, uh, clip for uh, skiing, but I'm not going to do it. Oh, I feel sad. But, uh, you know, this guy just bobbing and weaving and jumping over things, going through trees, knocking people over, you know, just bobbing and weaving the whole way down. Bob and weave. Listen to God's word. Respond. The bobbing and weaving, being swift and quick and following. After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him. I found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Not perfectly, but that's the inclination of his heart. I shared this before. Sometimes I have to pray, God, help me to want what you want. I don't even want to want it. I don't want it. I don't want to do that. I don't even want it. I'm not even talking about attempting to do it, moving in that direction. It, it's just something that's just I just don't want to do. So help me to change my heart so I want to do what you want me to do. Passage says it this way. He's a man whose heart beats to my heart. A man who will do what I tell him. The rhythm of that heart. I love when you have a little baby and they're a little fussy and you lay them on your chest and you can tell that they're hearing your heartbeat and it's slow, still, fussiness that is security. They hear the heart, the rhythm of that. That's what should happen in a child of God. Be close to him. These are the rhythm, the beating of his heart. And calm you down. And calm me down. The main vehicle, the main way we move in that direction is through God's word. You can't get away from it. Yes, it's spirit leads us, circumstances lead us, but you've got to be in his word. Reading a book, Mark Patterson, and uh, adapted something he said, and I liked what he said. Scripture is the sword, our mirror, our map, our light, and so many other things. Scripture can also be a script. In fact, Scripture is our script cure. It's the way God flips the scripts of our life. And all of us, all of us need a little flipping of the script in Because if you don't, you're perfect. If you don't, you've arrived. If you don't, you're Jesus. So scripture is the cure, the script cure for our lives. And if you need a little flipping, if you see the flipping that you do need, lean into the scripture. Let it change you. Follow its lead. David follows God's word. So we think about the caves that we're in and we're waiting. How do we wait? Is the cave we're in 
or the cave that's in us just oppressive and just crushing us? Is it causing us to cave in? Well, it doesn't have to be that way. You do have to cave in your faith. You don't have to cave in. It doesn't have to be that way. So I'm going to really mess everybody up. We're going to wait for the interview with Bill till next week if he's here. He'll be here. Uh, I'd rather wait to introduce you to him. I'm going to really get in trouble with the team and folks. We're going to wait on communion. Can't do it next week. We've got a lot of stuff tonight. But I want you to leave with these thoughts. Have you said yes to Jesus? Have you said initially yes to him? And I want to do this in tying it with communion, but... I also know that there's wonderful children's ministry workers out there, and it's like a time warp. An extra two minutes in here is like 20 minutes out there, so I'm careful. And Cindy's like, why don't you do that when I'm out there because she's in here? But anyway, say yes to Jesus. Have you said yes to him? Have you admitted your need for a Savior? Just a couple weeks ago, I had two people in my study, and they said yes. We have a need for Jesus. Is that you today? Do you admit that you need forgiveness of your sin, your disobedience, your selfishness? Have you ever seen yourself be selfish, disobedient, not function the way God would have you function? Admit it. Call it what it is. Let it out. Because Christ came so that you could be redeemed, you could be forgiven. By believing that Jesus died for us, he was the only perfect person. His life could pay the price of our sins and accepting his forgiveness for our sins is, is the way to say yes to Christ, to begin that relationship with God. And then we choose to invite Christ into our lives as the one you're going to follow. You're not going to do this perfectly, but you're going to follow him and you're going to travel in that direction. A life of loving God and loving others. And you choose to do that. And then you start to continue to say little yeses, like I said earlier. You say that big yes, I want you in my life. And then you say those little yeses from then on. So if you haven't said yes to Lord yet and want to know more about that, you can talk to whoever's going to be praying down front afterwards. You can talk to me later on. Also, there's a Knowing God Personally little pamphlet like this. They're all over the place. If you can't put your hands on one, check out. Someone will know who, where they are. And um, also, there's a nice, I think it's like 90-page read, 70-page read. You can read it in an hour or so just on how good is good enough. This just helps you a little bit with that um, if you, if you want to digest and, and figure this out a little bit. But, uh, you know, I really, really, really think about all of us in a cave or a cave in us and know that the way out begins with saying yes to Jesus, that initial step, and then saying yes to Jesus pretty regularly. So we're not going to sing that song. Heavenly Father, I just uh, thank you for your love for us. I thank you for the way you speak to our hearts. I thank you for the story of David. It's not a perfect story. It's a real story. It's our story. 
Lord, would we be a people, a group of Christ followers who say yes to you regularly. Even now, there may be something we need to say yes to. Maybe we have a chip on our shoulder, an irritation, a whatever. Uh, We've been treating someone poorly. We've been holding a grudge, bitter, whatever. I don't know. You know, and the person who's praying with me knows what their thing is. Would we say yes to you and start to move through it? You give us all the strength to do what you want us to do. And then, Father, in some ways, just even more important to my heart right in this moment, if there's anyone here who has not said yes to you, not invited you into their life, would this be the day that it happens, that they make it happen, that they actually say, I want to follow you. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, God. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. We ask all of this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.